0: Thanks for joining us on the podcast, and I am here with one of my new friends, David Tackle. Hey, David, thanks for joining us.
1: Well, thank you. This is really uh, quite a privilege.
0: Yeah. So David is uh, an author. Um, he, I, I said earlier, he's written more books than a lot of people have read. I think. <laughs> And um, I, I recently got got my hands on a book that you've written. I, I think it's is Copernicus 2.0. Is that your most recent book? Yes, it is. Okay, so on your on, got my hands on your most recent book, and it was really good. I guess is really good, and uh, really appreciated what you had to say about a lot of things. And so here in a minute, we're going to get into discussing uh, some of the themes of that book, and so I'm really excited for you guys to hear from David on that. But before we do, I, I know that. Uh, um, he's not a stranger to me, but he is to you. So, uh, David, if you would give us a, just a little bit of a little bit of background, give us a little bit of a, a biography, so we we know who we're talking to and how you got here.
1: Well, gosh, it's uh, an interesting challenge to boil this down. I've been a Christian for just over sixty-five years. There you go. That's a good run. <laughs> and uh, and during that time, just investigated a lot of different aspects of. Uh, the Christian uh, faith here in, in America.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, started out uh, five or six years old, came to Christ and started witnessing to my classmates right away. There I just thought go. this was really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, uh, in, in uh, high school, I got involved in a, what, what I would now classify as a very, extremely fundamentalist mm-hmm. uh, church. And a lot of hellfire and brimstone, mm-hmm. a lot of shame and condemnation. Mm. And, uh,
0: and, and I guess maybe at that point, you're pretty young. You didn't know that that wasn't entirely normal or it didn't well, seem.
1: I did know that it was countercultural. Okay. And, and that gave me something to work with. I, I, mm-hmm. I wasn't really happy with the family I was growing up in. Mm. And so this gave me kind of, uh, the one place where I had a sense of identity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I became, you know, the star pupil. Okay, and leading the youth group and all Good. of that fun stuff, you know and um but when I was about seventeen or eighteen, I started having the problems that teenagers have, and it dawned on me I couldn't go to my church for help, hmm. because all I would get is condemnation, yeah. And and it's like, well, this can't be right. this can't be right. <laughs> yeah, I thought we were supposed to be able to get help at church. Yeah, that's right. So that started me on a lifelong quest of asking questions, and I mm. went from all—I mean, just uh, Southern Baptist to E3 to non-denominational to Assembly of God. <laughs> uh, so can
0: I ask you real quick? You said, um, you know, you weren't able to go to your church and to get the help that you needed. In your mind at that point, and you're still quite young, was that um, it sounded like you were able to pinpoint the problem is the church. Were you at some point thinking, maybe the problem is Jesus, or maybe I've landed in the wrong faith, or was, it, was your faith a bit more solid than that?
1: Well, the faith was extremely solid, okay. and I had you know studied the Bible extensively by then. Got it. Uh, had uh, memorized tons of verses. I'd even been part of a Bible Memory Association. Okay, I mean we were we were just gung ho. Yeah, and uh, the thing is that my family had all dropped out of that church and were very critical of it. Mm. So I was getting feedback that there's something wrong with the church.
0: Oh, I see.
1: And I'd been like, "No, you're all wrong. This is this church is perfect." Uh. Until it dawned on me that it, it wasn't going to work for me. Yeah, and so that was kind of a natural, you know. I, I guess I, I guess. The family had something reasonable to say about the church, yeah,
0: but probably a tough conclusion to come to when you'd been sort of dug in and said, "No, this is good, so well, it was a shock, yeah yeah
1: and uh so then uh i i I had felt called to the military i'm sorry called to the ministry uh-huh. <laughs> at a very young age uh I experienced something at at thirteen similar to what we just saw at Asbury, okay. Yeah, Uh, a a whole campground just turned over. Just God just rolled over the campground. Yeah, and it was amazing. And I felt like I just need to give my life to Christ and go to the go to into the ministry. Mm -hmm. So right out of high school, I went to Bethel College in St. Paul. Okay, I didn't know at the time that that cost money. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So by the end of the first semester, I was broke. You got big problems. <laughs> okay. And Uncle Sam decided it was time to draft people for a war. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. And uh, so I joined the Air Force to get out of the uh, Army. Mm. And uh, by the time I got discharged from the Air Force, I was married with a kid mm. and... Um, Things just piled up and piled up. I tried going back to to uh, Bethel for another year and ran out of money again, mm-hmm. and went into the computer industry to make a yeah. living. Okay, and felt like God put me on the shelf. Mm. But I never quit looking. Oh, those are
0: hurtful words, man. That's that's an oh, it was painful. Yeah, it was like I, like I thought
1: I had failed God, and you know, mm-hmm. he, he was done with me. He could find someone else to do the job I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm.
2: That's
1: and hard. Uh, but I never quit looking. I read, you know, Francis Schaeffer, yeah, uh, cover to cover everything I could get my hands on, mm-hmm. uh, and I kept going from church to church trying to find. And you know, all these years, every every everywhere I went, I would ask how come How come we have so much trouble living out the life that we see portrayed in the New Testament? Mm-hmm. you know what's what do they mean by abundant life and yes. what's this you know God's greatness toward us mm-hmm. and you know lavished on us? I mean all these phrases all got watered down somehow, yeah, and I couldn't figure out why you know like Paul and Peter and John they're talking about something that that is is escaping all of us here. Mm-hmm. And I'd bring it up in every Sunday school class and every small group, and everybody would just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, well, all we can do is the best we can do. And, right. But I, that just wasn't satisfying to me. Yeah. Um, my life came unglued completely when I was 34. Uh, my marriage ended in a disaster, and and I'm laying on the floor of my trailer at that point Mm -hmm. (laughs) looking at the ceiling for two days and Mm -hmm. saying how did i get here i did everything Mm -hmm. right yeah i i lived by the book yeah you were the star people (laughs) i was yeah i mean i i was teaching adult sunday school classes and Mm -hmm. filling in for the pastor and all that good stuff and here i am a a a total failure Mm -hmm. Uh, that that something's wrong Mm -hmm. and uh I ended up going to a support group. It was a secular support group. In fact, the, the, the kind of the humor of this is I went to both a secular uh, divorce recovery group and a Christian divorce recovery group mm. at the same time, two different nights of the week. And uh, let me give you a, a sample of how they treated this differently.
0: Yeah, I'm curious.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I go to the church. The, the, the Christian one, and they say, tonight we're going to talk about anger. We all feel anger mm-hmm. after our divorce. Mm-hmm. And so they gave us a little handout mm-hmm. with six steps to deal with anger. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, a couple nights later, I go to the secular self-help group, and and the facilitator says, tonight I want to talk about anger. Mm. And you know what? I'm pissed. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> Fair enough. And I don't know about you, but I can't stand my ex, and I'm gonna—I just soon kill him. And yeah. And guess which one was more helpful—the one that was authentic, <laughs> <laughs> the one where they told the truth. Yeah. yeah. Well, see, this is kind of a wake up. And then I'm sitting in this small group one night, mm. and it was uh, everybody was sharing part of their their disaster story and mm. how painful it was. And one person would talk for five minutes about you know their journey. And then three or four other people would respond with some of the kindest words I'd ever heard, mm. you know, uh, empathy and compassion and, darn, you should have never had to go through that, and I'm sorry about that. Mm. And I'm just blown away. It's like, I've never heard this kind of talk in the churches I've been in. Yeah, uh, You know, I would have, you know, everybody would have tried to fix me if I had mm. shared that in a church. Mm-hmm. And uh, instead, they're just listening. Mm. And it dawned on me, this, you know, we need relationships far more than I than I knew. Yeah, this isn't just about following a book. This is about mm-hmm. being connected to people. Yeah. Well, uh, this excited me so much. I, I went to facilitator training, and I facilitated one of those groups for mm. years. Oh. And even and even joined the facilitator training team and trained facilitators because <laughs> I wanted to know all about relationships. Yeah, and uh, my family hadn't known anything about relationship, and so it, mm. this was quite an education. Um. <clears throat> well, along come about the 1990s, uh, uh, I, I I met I'd met my uh, wife in uh, my wife today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met her at facilitator training, uh-huh. and we sort of grew up together, and um, got married in '91, and uh, went to a, a wonderful church in Minneapolis. Uh, great teaching, um, but I still found myself in kind of a spiritual desert. Like, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a big gap between what I can see in the Bible and what I can see in my own life. Mm-hmm. And so again, we, we went to every conference we could get our hands on, mm-hmm. uh, Leanne Payne conferences, and, and uh, uh, we joined Scott, Scott, M. Scott Peck's uh, community mm-hmm. conferences. And um, at one of the Leon Payne conferences, I was looking at their book table, and I picked up this very interesting hard copy, read the back cover, and I said, I think I need to read this book. I turned it over, and the title was The Divine Conspiracy. Here we go. Yeah. By Dallas Willard. Okay. (laughs) Little did I know that that book would change my life. Yes, it would. Yeah. And it felt like water to my soul and it was a challenging book. I'd read a chapter and put it down for a couple of weeks while i digested it.
0: Yes, I'm glad you said that. You know, we recently in our church, uh, I'll sometimes recommend books, and then, you know, we'll buy a bunch of them, people can buy them in the lobby, and we did a Dallas Willard book, and a lot of feedback I got was, hey, this is really great, and this was too hard. <laughs> like, this is, this Absolutely. is tough. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. yes. So what was it about Divine Conspiracy that made such a, well, an impact?
1: Uh, he He... Metaphorically, he turned my world right side up. It, mm-hmm. it was it was his view of kingdom being very present,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and not just not just evidences of the kingdom like inner you know, like like you know physical healing or something, but mm-hmm. but that kingdom meant God was active
2: mm-hmm.
1: and present. Kingdom is all about God doing uh, what we can't do for ourselves. Mm-hmm. He uh wants to interact with us, he wants to uh, communicate with us uh, he wants to heal us of all the old wounds and I had a big trail behind me mm. and uh and it was just exciting to discover that you know Jesus didn't come to get us into heaven; he came to bring heaven to us yeah that's right mm-hmm. and that was just like an eye opener, yeah. And so I, after that, of course, I just read everything Dallas ever wrote. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> which and, took
0: some time, I <laughs> imagine.
1: <laughs> and, yes, along with you know anybody who was related to Dallas in any way, uh-huh. John Ortberg yes. and all you know, Jan Johnson and, mm-hmm. and the whole crew, mm-hmm. and uh, just ate up everything they had to offer. And before you know it, I was. Um, you know, just on fire for the -hmm. whole area of spiritual formation. And wow, we can actually grow up. Yeah. There's a plan to grow up. Mm -hmm. It's not just random, Mm -hmm. you know,
0: and there's real power. There's real transformation. I'm not doomed to read, to repeat the same trends over and over forever and ever. Exactly.
1: And on the, right on the heels of that, that was like 1998. I picked that thing up hot off the press. Uh And then, uh, late '99, early 2000, my wife and I discovered an inner healing ministry, mm-hmm. and it was all about how God will speak into our life and dispel the lies we believe, about ourselves, about God, about how life works. Yeah uh, We all gather up misconceptions and misbeliefs over from life experience. Sure. And uh the, the the fun thing is that we had figured out that much in our recovery group that, mm-hmm. that you know the 12-step people call it stinking thinking
0: uh-huh
1: <laughs> that's right <laughs> but but we figured out that what killed our life was the lies we believed but we didn't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. We couldn't get those things out of mm-hmm. our head yeah you, know, you can't just Sit on them, and mm-hmm. you can't overrun them with willpower. Yeah,
0: you can't just decide to believe something different. No, that's right. No, you're,
1: yeah. no, those things are subcortical. They get into your body, and uh-huh. and uh, you believe things that you don't even know you believe. Mm-hmm. Well, here's this guy with a inner healing ministry that says you can invite God into those things, and He can tell you what the what the lies were, and when He speaks the truth, mm-hmm. it's life changing. Yeah. It's real different than hearing it in a book or or uh, from a pulpit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, well, this sounded reasonable. So my wife and I started praying with each other, mm. and we started in January of two thousand. By March, I was online looking for a seminary. Mm. Okay, that's how unbelievable that those two months were. Mm. We just. Uh, wound after wound and unforgiveness and regrets and Mm. hate and all kinds of things got purged out of our bodies. And it was like, if God can do this, I would like to be in the ministry. Mm. Yeah, because you've just
0: experienced the power of two people being honest, seeking the Lord with real hope and expectation, and things that you thought were probably just a part of the hardware, that they were were always going to be with you. Mm -hmm. Suddenly you're free from those things. Unbelievable. It's beautiful.
1: So uh, it took us a while to extricate ourselves from Minnesota, but we packed up. I quit <laughs> the job I ever had. <laughs> oh no! Okay, <laughs> I was. I'd been in the computer industry for 27 years and loved it. I was had an aptitude for it, enjoyed it. Quit my job, packed up, and moved to Pasadena. I went to Fuller Seminary, mm. uh, which was way more difficult than I anticipated. Mm. <laughs> Uh, on many levels, but we survived. And uh, by the time I graduated, we were deeply involved in a parachurch ministry there. And they offered me the opportunity to create a course in spiritual formation. Okay. They said, we'll fund it, we'll, we'll film it, we'll, we'll promote it.
0: Yeah, that's great.
1: So that's where uh, we have a forming, it's called Forming Change by Grace. Mm hmm. And it's pretty much what I wish someone would have had told me 30 years earlier. Yeah, that's,
2: yeah, that's good. <laughs> and
1: yeah. that's what we put in the course. Yeah. And it's very experiential. It's not a Bible study. It's mm-hmm. very experiential and helps walk people into a relationship with God that has enough substance to it that, w- mm-hmm. that we can actually experience God and it makes a difference in our life. Yeah. yeah. And that just set me on fire. I just, <laughs> I, it was fun to, to do Uh, But once that was done, we, we, you know, we never really fit into California. I don't know. I don't don't want to say anything bad about California today, but but uh, but maybe tomorrow. (laughs) But but we escaped in uh, 2012 and moved to North Carolina, Mm -hmm. God's country.
0: That does sound like an upgrade.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we love it there. And in the meantime, so since then, I've been I've been writing. That's Mm -hmm. what kind of God's called me to.
0: Yeah, I love it. So, speaking of writing, let's take a, a, a turn here and talk a bit about Copernicus 2.0. So, okay. um, You you put that book in my hand uh, <clears throat> a little over a year ago, I guess it was now. That yeah, in July. Right? Yeah, so uh, not quite a year ago. Um, and uh, it took me a while to get to it. I said, I will read this, but there's a stack of books I've got to get oh, to sure. first. You know how that goes. Um, and uh, really enjoyed the book once, once uh, I started digging into it. Um, it took me a while to get... To it. it. didn't take me long to get through it because I was I was pretty excited uh, reading it. Uh, the way you were able to frame things is really helpful. Um, but the title sort of sits there with a big question mark. Uh, so tell, tell us basically the premise and, and what, uh, what that, uh, that title and then ultimately the, the crux of the book is about there.
1: Well, uh, Copernicus 2.0, A Call to Reformation. Uh, Copernicus, if you remember uh, your history at all, <laughs> Uh, He's the guy that decided, you know, up until until his day, everybody believed the Earth Mm -hmm. was the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. And all the planets and stars revolved around the Earth. Mm -hmm. And they had good reasons to believe that. They had some biblical, some actually scientific. Mm -hmm. And we don't have time to explain all of that. But uh, they had worked out all the math for the retrograde motion of the planets and all that fun stuff. But Copernicus figured out that if you put the sun at the center and make the earth just one more planet going around the sun, that the, that the math made a lot more sense. Oh, I see. And the model worked better. Mm-hmm. And it explained retrograde motion as just a, a, a perception thing, not, not a physical thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it completely transformed astronomy mm-hmm. in the years to follow. The reason I use that metaphor is that I've come to the conclusion after 50 years of searching that much of the Western church, the theology and the, the life, the, the, the worldview, and the, the, the way that the, actually the lens that is used to read Scripture, hmm. this all revolves around a center that was never supposed to be the center. I see. Yeah. And that center is uh, moral moral law. Mm -hmm. And at the very core of what many Western churches uh, believe and and operate in is a worldview that revolves around moral law and judgment and pardon and uh, and justice. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like... um, whereas the real center of the universe mm. is a god of love. Yeah. Now, at first glance, that doesn't seem, you know, well, yeah, we all know that god, god is, love. is love, yeah. And yes. and you know, why are you making a big deal out of that? We have mm-hmm. love in our moral centric universe too, mm-hmm. you know. Right. <clears throat> but as you begin to investigate what what this lens does, to the way we look at all of the practical theologies that govern our life. Everything, I mean, I'm talking about gospel, sanctification, mm. Christian identity. Mm-hmm. All of these things are impacted by what we view and how we, how we perceive to be the governing rules of interpretation, mm-hmm. if you will. And so... Um,
0: That's a major shift. And I think, I think people... Uh, it was interesting you said, well, we've got love too over here in this, in this worldview. And maybe think yeah. back to Copernicus when, when Copernicus said, actually, if, if things are oriented around the sun instead of the earth, um, it wouldn't have been rational to say, well, no, we, we have both a sun mm-hmm. and an earth, but what is at the center with everything revolving around it fundamentally changes the way you understand
1: Yes. practically everything. Yes, And
0: so that was a major shift in the way people understood the world in which they lived at that time. Right, And you're saying, it, actually, a similar sort of seismic shift needs to happen in how we understand, um, from a spiritual vantage point, the, the world that we're in now. Is that, that sound like a right yes, summary? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And
1: it's massive. Let mm-hmm. me just give you a, 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 a glimpse at what we're talking yeah. about. Let's take let's take the gospel itself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, right at the right at the very core uh, of our of our Christian faith, especially as evangelicals or, or conservative Christians, mm-hmm. um, what what we normally think of as the gospel today is the big story is God created uh, a universe, we planted these moral beings on the on Earth. And I gave them some laws to live by they broke them mm-hmm. and we've all broken God's laws and therefore justice demands that there, you know we spend eternity away from God or that there's some incredible penalty for breaking god's laws and uh, but if God were to enforce that law there'd be no people left for mm-hmm. eternity mm-hmm so he found a way around the laws of justice by shifting our guilt to Jesus. And if we'll just confess, yeah, I am a sinner, and, and I do believe that Jesus took that for me, um, God will erase your record in heaven mm-hmm. and uh, give you a visa so that <laughs> you can go to heaven when uh-huh. you die. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, that leaves me with a question about so how does that impact my life today
0: mm-hmm. now let's look at all of this from well if I can just hit pause real quick, I just want to point out just in the way you laid that out, um, it really does put the law at the center of the whole yes. all of those mechanics yes. at the core of what's driving everything <clears throat> is did you keep the law yes or no
1: absolutely yeah. and and notice the legal terminology in our gospel mm-hmm. you broke the law. Mm-hmm you deserve to be punished, mm-hmm. we can get you a pardon. Mm-hmm. These, this is all legal terminology. Mm-hmm. So the only, this, this helps reveal the fact that we're looking at the entire process of salvation through a legal lens. Mm-hmm. Now let's shift and say, let's put the God of love at the center of the universe. And the reason that God created the earth is he wanted a big, big family. Yeah, yeah that's right. A, a house full of kids mm-hmm. to love and to raise up to show a family resemblance. Mm-hmm. Well, the kids decided they wanted to do something else, uh-huh. and they went off on their own. Little did they realize that when they did that, they were not master of their own fate. They became enslaved to something else mm-hmm. and in bondage. God's response was to launch a rescue operation to get his, his children back. If the only reason Jesus came was to make sure we got into heaven when we die, yeah. then everybody thinks discipleship is optional, and I can be a Christian for as long as I want and, and never be a disciple.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. yep. That's, that's a common belief today, that discipleship is for the super-Christian, or yeah. those that are really serious about their faith.
0: Yeah, this is a subject we've actually hit a lot lately in the life of our church, because I've, I've been increasingly frustrated by that reality, where people, uh, this idea that you can, Jesus never implied that we could be a Christian without becoming a disciple. That's right. And that's a distinction that we've added, Right, but it's, it's nowhere in Scripture, and it's nowhere in the teachings of Jesus.
1: Well, now let's go back to what we just talked about. If we have a love-centered gospel, mm-hmm. and the reason God came was to rescue us from evil and from the ways of this world, discipleship is the, is the answer to the problem. Mm. How do you live in the kingdom? How do you, if, if we're being reconciled to God, what does that life look like? Mm-hmm. Well, we all have to be retrained. Yeah. In life in the kingdom, because it's not like life in the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's what discipleship is for.
0: That's right. Yeah, it's an entirely new way to see the world and to move out into it.
1: In other words, the whole reason for coming to God as a sinner, the whole reason for coming to God is, please rescue me. Mm-hmm. I want to be free of this junk, and I want to live the way you designed us to live, as one mm-hmm. of your children. Yeah. Teach me how. Yeah. That's discipleship. Mm-hmm. So now, now all of these things are welded together, the, the salvation and grace. See, grace, <laughs> see, the way this, these legal lenses have also distorted all of our terminology. Mm-hmm. If you ask person to, uh, a Christian to define grace, they'll say, well, grace means you don't get what you deserve, mm-hmm. and you, you get something you don't deserve.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But see, we're talking legal terminology again and mm-hmm. earning and not earning. But what if grace is everything that God does for us that we can't do for ourselves? Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, and, and we see there's examples of that in the real world. If, if a fireman rescues you from a burning building, mm-hmm. that's grace. If you take care of a person who's comatose, mm. that's grace. Mm-hmm. You're doing for them what they can't do for themselves. Yeah. If God rescues us from sin... Mm -hmm. that's grace.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Because sin is toxic. It's awful. It's destructive. Mm -hmm. It ruins lives. Mm. And if we're rescued from that, well, praise God, bring it on. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's why Dallas Willard used to say Christians need far more grace. Mm. In fact, uh, he says we need to learn how to burn grace like a 747 burns fuel.
0: Oh, there we go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: I want God to do in me what I can't do for myself. Mm -hmm. That's grace.
0: Yeah, and and in that case, it's not just this transactional moment. Exactly. When you walk an aisle, though there's nothing wrong about walking an aisle, or you say a prayer, although that's obviously a really good thing to do, but what fades from the background when we think of it in those transactional ways is, well, what's next? And and if you have a worldview that says, uh, Christ died for me so that I could get to heaven well, then there's really no point of us still being here once we find life with Jesus. Uh, but if there's an ongoing work for him to do and there's real power to transform, then, then we have reason to stay and be discipled and to walk with Jesus as we go.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, and to, to, to play this out when you read the Bible, a, a really fun thing to do is every time, every time that the, the, the text says saved or salvation, Change that word to rescued,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or being rescued, mm. and it, the the text comes alive. Because mm. when we say I, "Are you saved?" Well, yeah. Well, what do we mean by that? It means I'm going to heaven when I die. Uh-huh. I've 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 taken care of that, right? But if salvation is deliverance from evil, mm. that's a, that's a, a first of all a, a tremendous. Uh, moment of regeneration
2: mm-hmm.
1: plus a lifelong of defeating sin yeah, and and being rescued from its effects in our life.
0: Yeah. Well, that seems like as good a spot as any. Um, I wanted to hear you talk a bit more about flesh and spirit uh, and, yes. and those distinctions. So yes. can I just, is that enough of a prompt to get <laughs> oh, you going?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, this brings in the whole issue of Christian identity. Um, mm mm-hmm. There's two very pre, uh, prevalent uh, theories of Christian identity. Uh, one, D- Dallas Willard called it miserable sinner Christianity. Okay, <laughs> That's the Christianity where, well, yes, God has uh, made sure that I'll go to heaven when I die, but not much changed for me personally. I'm still mm-hmm. a sinner saved by grace. Mm-hmm. You know, that famous bumper sticker. Mm-hmm. Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yes.
1: Well, really, is that it? You know, uh-huh. um, and and there are denominations where the the participants pretty much come to church every week to get absolved mm-hmm. uh, of whatever happened in the previous week, mm-hmm. and then go back and do it all over Repeat. again. Mm-hmm. That's what we call miserable sinner Christianity. I'm a sinner, but I'm going to heaven when I die anyway. Mm-hmm. The other prevailing theory, which is the one I was taught early on, is called the dual nature theory that uh, we all of course, we all have a sin nature that we started out with, and uh, when we accept uh, Jesus into our life, he moves in and brings along a new nature mm-hmm. and this tries to do justice to some of the texts that says something substantial happens to us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, perhaps even metaphysically, mm-hmm. at salvation. Uh, so I have both an old nature and a new nature at the same mm-hmm. time. And these are sort of at war with each other. Mm-hmm. And we've all heard the little story about, you know, uh, there's these two wolves inside, and mm-hmm. and I, I, the one I feed is the one that wins. Yes. Well, the problem, if you start digging a little bit deeper into the theology of that, what it tells us is that we have an old nature that is depraved and irredeemable. We have a new nature that's perfect and created after the image of God. It mm-hmm. doesn't need any change. Mm-hmm. So one can't change and the other doesn't need change.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do you yeah. change?
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> that's good. That's good.
1: That's so, good. That's why we get so much teaching and preaching about behavior modification mm. and what you ought to do and what you ought to try hard to do. And let's just set the bar really high and see if we can make it. Right. And willpower is and motivation is the thing of the day.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and maybe and, some shame too.
1: Oh a lot of shame. That helps to motivate. Mm-hmm. If we can condemn you or convict you a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, you'll you'll try harder. Um, but but we read the New Testament, you know, Paul's pretty clear that flesh and spirit are at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. So how do we resolve this issue? Mm-hmm. And that perplexed me for a very long time. And I started reading it. Uh, and, and see, some of our translations make this really hard because uh, there's, a, there's a Greek word, sarx, mm-hmm. which means flesh. Mm-hmm. And it's a very broad term. It can mean everything from the flesh and bones to... Right. To uh, sinful inclinations, mm-hmm. and so it only you can only tell what it means by looking at the context. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So so far so good, but some of our translators took the liberty of mm-hmm. telling us what that word meant, mm-hmm. and so where where it should have just been translated flesh, they translated it sinful nature. Yeah. So that's part of where the problem comes in when we read our English. Bible, and it tells us right there in black and white the uh-huh. sinful nature is at war with the spirit. Mm-hmm. The problem is uh, with, with understanding that everybody has both flesh and spirit. Mm-hmm. Whether you're even unsaved people struggle with uh, bad inclinations, mm-hmm. they know how to bite their tongue when they should right. not, not say the bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can be polite and civil when they don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. The idea of having two wills within us—exactly you know, things that we want to do and we don't, and,
0: and vice versa. So,
1: well, see, and that's that's a clue. If mm-hmm. if an unsafe person can wrestle with these things, uh-huh. how is it
0: uh, any different? How is it any different <laughs> for a Christian
1: to wrestle with these uh-huh. things? Um, and that'll that that gets into partly into the sanctification issue, but. As I thought about this, it dawned on me that if 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 you understand that both saved and unsaved people have flesh and spirit, mm-hmm. then what's the difference between old nature and new nature?
0: It's mm-hmm. a good question.
1: <laughs> and and what 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 I've come to believe very very firmly is that under the old nature, sin dominates the flesh which then crushes the spirit. Mm. We're in bondage. Mm-hmm. Under the new nature, the spirit is alive mm. and powerful mm-hmm. in partnership with God. Mm-hmm. And as Paul says in Romans 8.13, with the spirit, we are able to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Yeah. And all through the New Testament, we see an optimistic view of dealing with sin.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so what? What? What that means is that both the old nature has flesh and spirit, and the new nature has flesh and spirit. But in the new nature, the spirit is on top, mm-hmm. and it's it's able to um, dominate. Mm-hmm. We live in the kingdom mm-hmm. of of light instead mm-hmm. of the kingdom of darkness, mm-hmm. and so we have all of the resources of heaven available to us. Yeah. To to. Uh, to bring to bear on purifying the flesh, mm-hmm. John in first John three talks about everyone who has this hope is already in the process of mm-hmm. purifying the flesh, mm-hmm. so this is a doable thing yeah it 's a winnable war
0: yeah it 's good i I feel like a lot of people will. <clears throat> We we'll read Romans seven, for example, and say, "Well, you know, Paul really struggled. Yeah. Um, so, what hope do I have? <laughs> you yeah. Know, what's the chance I could possibly win if Paul wasn't uh, winning uh, himself?
1: Yeah. Well, see, Romans seven is a whole other discussion.
0: Uh huh. <laughs> but but the
1: short version is, it, from about chapter four up to four uh, chapter seven is one massive rhetorical argument, mm-hmm. in which Paul is arguing that. Trying to live by the law doesn't work.
2: Yeah. hmm
1: And and he he uh personifies that in chapter seven mm-hmm. and says, if I'm trying to live under the law and live up to the law, mm-hmm. then I see this other thing at work in me mm-hmm. that, that keeps me from being able to do that. That's right. And then the law kills me. Mm-hmm. And then so what's the answer to that? Mm-hmm. In chapter eight, he says God did something the law couldn't do. That's right. So it's old man versus new man. Yes. Yeah.
0: When people have that, I usually just say, "Well, I kind of flip over to chapter eight, and there's a very different picture that's painted." Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I it's there's such a pressing need for for hope around um, uh, sanctification is one way to put it, but I just see um, a, a lot of a lot of Christians who don't really believe in the transforming power of Christ within them. And I think it has a lot to do with this, this worldview that you're that you're that you explain really well in this book.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And and you know, when I was in seminary, I had to read a book called Five Views of Sanctification. Mm-hmm. It was one of the worst, most depressing books I have ever read <laughs> in my life. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, because out of the five theologians, uh, four of them couldn't tell you how the Holy Spirit was involved.
2: Mm.
1: I mean these are leading theologians in their mm. in their denominations and fields, but they would quote a bunch of verses saying "God does something," and a bunch of verses that said "We have to do something and mm-hmm. their and their solution was, and I'm sure we've all heard this if you try really hard, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit will help you yeah well. I know a lot of pastors that have tried really, really hard, and they burned out.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me so too.
1: So how come that doesn't work? Yeah. Didn't all that work? You know, solicit the help of the Holy Spirit. and yeah. Make the problem go away. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that's really true. Mm-hmm. But see, the curious thing about these theologians that had this idea is that it kind of puts the Holy Spirit in the background somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like if I try really hard up front, he'll give me vitamin shots mm-hmm. and help me do stuff mm-hmm. and strengthen me. Well, what if instead the Holy Spirit was out front Yeah, there and we, we go. could engage with him mm-hmm. and talk to him and say, look, I'm having trouble with this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know more about life than I do. Yeah. How about you help me figure this one out, mm-hmm. or or touch that part of my soul that's broken, yeah, and heal me. You know, or expose it. You know, mm-hmm. search me, oh God, mm-hmm. and let's let's find out where the cause of this is, mm-hmm. and uh, and and have God actually work with us. Mm-hmm. See, and the key word there is participation. Yeah, I like that yeah and i I really like that word because uh, most of our mistakes in discipleship and spiritual development are mistakes in participation.
2: Hmm.
1: On the one end of the spectrum, we have people who just set the bar really high and try hard to live up to it with willpower.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, they're not participating with God, they're right. they're doing self effort. Yes. At the other end of the spectrum, we have people who say, I believe in power encounters. I want mm-hmm. God to strike me overnight while i 'm asleep mm-hmm. and I'm going to wake up in the morning a different person yeah, there we go <laughs>
0: okay I don't have to do anything. I love the sound of it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah,
1: but that's not participating either. no it's not. What if God wants to have conversations with us about our life? Mm-hmm. What if He wants to deal with us like a like a beloved mentor?
2: Mm-hmm. yeah
1: Jesus said in john uh, in his in his uh upper room discourse you know your training's not over Mm -hmm. and and the holy spirit's going to come and pick up where i left off yeah that's right and he'll teach you Mm -hmm. and he'll be your teacher and and um he can show you the things that you don't know Mm -hmm. god's ways are higher than our ways Mm -hmm. and so there's always more that he can show us
0: yeah that's right
1: and participation is learning to interact with him Mm -hmm and wrestle with these issues with him Mm -hmm. not apart from him
0: yeah and it sounds like and we've got maybe just another couple minutes here oh but that sounds like um you're starting to draw the different a distinction between transformation and formation yes um so and transformation we to put it flatly is this idea that you know boom zap i'm going to have a moment i'm going to have an experience i'll wake up an entirely different person and and to be clear, God does miracles, and He transforms our lives, and He booms and zaps and does does those things. The bulk of it, what what I see laid out for us in Scripture is is to be formed mm. uh, as an apprentice of Jesus. Yes. So I, I wonder if you could just give us a minute or two here about um, formation, um, and then maybe also let us know about some of the other resources you have available online.
1: Okay. Well, uh Spiritual formation is an interesting phrase. The, the thing is, uh, it's, uh, we don't have a choice about that. Mm. Everybody is being spiritually formed all the time.
0: Yes, glad you said that. <laughs> Just a matter of what. What are you being formed by, yes. not if?
1: We're mm. formed by everything we think, everything mm-hmm. we do, sometimes things we don't do, sometimes uh, what other people do to us. Mm-hmm. Those things all shape us and form us over time mm-hmm. into the person we become. Mm-hmm. What Christian spiritual formation is, is what if there are things we could actually do to direct how we are being formed, mm-hmm. rather than have it happen to us accidentally mm-hmm. from life experience?
0: What if we have some agency in it, some choice? Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's where things like spiritual practices come in, mm-hmm. uh, learning to have conversations with God, mm-hmm. Um Uh, learning to read the Bible through the lens of a love-centered universe. Mm -hmm. These are the things that will shape us Mm -hmm. very, very differently.
0: Yeah. And you've got some uh, courses online to help uh, Uh, teach people how to do that, right? love To point them in that direction. We
1: have a 12-week course uh, called uh, Forming Change by Grace. Mm -hmm. And uh, the best place to find that is there's a website called Mm formingcourse.com, And it's hyphenated, forming dash course dot com. That's right, and that'll give you all the information you need about what the course is about, how mm-hmm. to get to it.
0: And we'll uh, link to that it, in the show notes so it, people can click on, right on it from where where yep, they're at. That's good. Yep.
1: And it, and and there's a workbook that goes with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can. It's really a twelve week course mm-hmm. uh, of uh, ninety minute sessions minimum, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's very experiential. It's not mm. like a typical Bible study at mm. all. It's very experiential and walks people into an interactive relationship with God that uh, that can change change us from the inside out. Mm-hmm.
0: It's great. Um, one more thing. This this one's really personal to me, <laughs> um, and I've I've told you why. I've shared some stories of things that the Lord has shown me over the time and, and stuff that we have. Um, uh, talked about a good bit uh, in the life of our church, which is um, when it comes to spiritual formation, the, the difference between rowing and, and sailing. Mm, yes. And um, so I was, I'm wondering, just, just so we can hear it in, in your words, they've, they've heard it in mine. <laughs> um, I'm wondering if you could, uh, uh, in terms of spiritual formation, uh, highlight the difference between rowing and sailing.
1: Yes. Um, rowing, uh, rowing is hard work, and many of us uh, have tried rowing our way to change. Mm-hmm. And uh, it feels like we're rowing against the current. Mm-hmm. Some of us feel like we've only got one oar. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or didn't get any oars at all. Uh-huh. Just paddling <laughs> with our hands. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and it's just, uh, you know, we try really hard to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. and But what if instead... We could learn how to align the sails with the wind. Mm -hmm. Now, sailing is actually hard work Mm -hmm. in its own right. I've Mm -hmm. tried sailing. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of work involved and plenty of learning involved. Mm -hmm. But the goal isn't to make the boat move. The goal is to align the sails with the wind. Yes. And then the boat moves. Mm -hmm. That's very similar to, you know, the vine and the branch thing. That's right. Um, You know, I was taught for years how to manufacture grapes. Mm-hmm. Out of amino acids <laughs> that's what it felt like we were trying to do uh-huh. but once you learn how to connect to the vine grapes happen mm-hmm.
2: yeah that's and great. It's a very different
1: you know and i love the rowing and sailing because uh, people catch that really quickly mm-hmm. that there's a real difference between connecting to god for change versus mm-hmm. trying to get there on your own mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um so it's it's uh it's a metaphor that that's pretty clean, I think. And
0: Yeah, but there's so much striving involved and there are people who are trying really, really hard. Um and they're doing the things, and they're checking the boxes, mm-hmm. but they're not finding any real experiential life with Jesus.
1: And they don't feel the character transformation inside. That's right. They're cleaning the outside of the cup.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think yeah. you're quoting someone reputable yes. when you say that. <laughs> and of course, when you when you put your sails up and you catch the wind, yes. um, uh, what makes the metaphor so helpful is... is the, The Holy Spirit, uh, the word spirit means pneuma, or is pneuma, means wind, uh, breath of God. We literally catch what the Father is doing. Um, And then then we can, if we need to go against the current, we've got all the horsepower we need to do it because it's the breath Mm -hmm. of God and not our own striving. Yeah.
1: One more resource I could offer. My my primary ministry site is called kingdomformation.org. Yep. And that's where you'll learn about who I am, a little bit of my background. But mm-hmm. mostly it's got just a boatload of resources, mm-hmm. uh, books I've written, uh, uh, books I recommend, mm-hmm. uh, videos I recommend, uh, songs. Um, I used to do a lot of short articles. Mm-hmm. There's just a ton of stuff out there Yeah, that's um, all I would call formational theology.
0: Okay. So KingdomFormation.org, we will link to that in the show notes as All right. well. Yeah. All right. David, thank you so much for coming and spending some time. We uh, <laughs> we are at a men's retreat, and we are in a hotel room. Uh, <laughs> my son and I have been staying in here. It kind of smells like a couple of guys have been in here. <laughs> so I appreciate you coming and spending some time. It means a lot. <laughs>
1: well, this is great. I, I really appreciate your your ministry and uh, taking this time.
0: Yeah. All right. Thanks, David. appreciate it.